today on CityCast Madison. You seem like a pretty cool person. I got a tip so hot you might as well be walking on the sun. Coming up later this month, it's your last chance in many moons to see a show that is out of this world. But seats are limited because it's a star-studded event. I'm talking about the planetarium at Bell Phillips Memorial High School in Madison. That's where you can learn all about the stars of the summer. Let's meet planetarium director Ben Sensen. It's Wednesday, May 10th. I'm Dylan Brogan, in for Bianca Martin, and here's what Madison's talking about. Ben, thank you for joining me here today. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So we brought you on because Mercury's in retrograde, <laughs> and we just want to know what's going on. So uh, th- that's what we're talking about today, right? Oh, sure. Anything anything that's up. We're, we're good with that. No. <laughs> No, that would be astrology. We're talking about astronomy today, and we have a perfect guest to do that, to talk about space, and that's uh, because you're the director of the Madison School District's Planetarium. Uh, Correct. So first thing I want to ask about is just, uh, we all saw the northern lights and those beautiful pictures. I didn't know it could be visible in Madison ever. What, what, can you just explain just the basics of the Northern Lights? Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of people don't think of stars as being these huge magnetic engines, but our sun is the most magnetic object in the solar system. And because it's, it's not a solid, it's a gas, it can mix itself up and it's like stretching a rubber band around your finger. Eventually it's going to snap and all that energy gets pulsed out into space, brings a lot of particles with it. When they fly towards Earth and finally get to us, our magnetic field guides it down towards the poles and makes these beautiful rings of ionized gases that are reds and greens and blues. So we might get an opportunity again to to see that. Absolutely. This whole cycle has been uh, far more energetic than uh, we were really predicting. And so it's a great time to just, anytime you're out, if it's clear at all, and you see those gently undulating clouds, if they're not going anywhere, they might be the Northern Lights. (laughs) So get out as often as you can the next uh, year or so. So the Madison School District's Planetarium, it's a public resource. It's not just for students. Anyone can go. So you have some public shows coming up this month. What do you plan on covering in those presentations? Yeah, we do a monthly program. Uh, We're on a school district calendar, so we close down for the summers in terms of our programs. And with our big remodeling going on, we're literally locked out of the building this summer. But on a monthly basis, we'll do a public show that's often thematic. So we have done programs on like the James Webb Space Telescope and the amazing images it's gotten. We did a program called Living in Balance on Anishinaabe uh, Star Knowledge. So it's about, you know, First Nations who live in this part of the country and what they think about the sky. And in May, we're going to take a look at the stars of summer. So just what can you see with your eyes, with uh, binoculars, with telescopes for the next couple months while we're closed? You know, give you a little project to work on while you're out there camping. Very cool. So, what, yeah, what stars should, can people see this summer that you'll be paying attention to? Uh, the classics are the summer triangle. Uh, by the time we get into the middle of summer, it's high in the sky, almost straight overhead. Um, and there's three really bright stars, Vega and Deneb and Altair, that we can see. Um, and so it's a nice centerpiece for finding a harp, a swan, and an eagle. And then once you learn those, you can find a couple more small ones inside. So there's a, an arrow and a fox hiding in the summer triangle, too. That's really awesome to hear. And and it, you know, you must be uh, just for a mass and school kid, it, it, 
I remember when I went to the planetarium way back in the day when you had a way not as cool system as you have now. Full dome video. It's amazing. You might be the most popular (laughs) educator in the, in the whole district. So uh, how many kids are you are coming to the planetarium? Record breaking numbers. You know, um, before COVID we would hit the high, you know, 17, 18, 19,000 in a typical year. COVID really squashed that down. We rebuilt and we uh, uh, just crossed over 24,000 served this year. So Everyone's thirsty for a field trip. Uh, so that's almost every kid. Uh, it's a ton. And, and, you know, most of our clientele is actually outside of Madison uh, as a okay. percentage. They come from all over south central Wisconsin. So they come from Prairie to Sac. They come from Sun Prairie. They come from uh, Janesville. You know, we've had a group that came up from Illinois. They were coming to the Madison for something else. And, you know, we added on and enriched their experience here. So um, we serve a huge geographic area. There's only a handful or two of, of planetariums in the entire state of Wisconsin. Two hands is plenty to count them all. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe that's partially why. And it seems funny bringing this up in May, but I, I want to just let people know so they ha- they can't complain that they didn't hear about it in time. But like the hottest Valentine's Day ticket in the city of Madison <laughs> isn't some James Beard Award winning restaurant. It is the Romance Under the Stars event. You guys do a, a few of them during the Valentine's yeah. Day weekend. And they always... I'm not exaggerating. They always sell out. So absolutely, and it's a lot of a lot of fun from my side to do those too. You know, just get people in a slightly different context to come to the planetarium and experience what we do. Yeah. So uh, tell us about what exactly a romance under the stars event looks well, like. Well, you know, don't want to give away the secret sauce or anything, but oh, well, yeah, a little, but, okay, um, a little but, bit. But the, the twist is, you know, we're talking about topical astronomy, but we're doing it through a way that has to do with relationships. So we're talking about galaxies. Maybe it's how they're combining and pulling on each other with a gravity. How they just can't help that attraction to bring them together. Oh, very cool. So when, when do those become available online so we can everyone can set a reminder? I wish. You know, one of the greatest things about a planetarium, um, I've been in education for over three decades, I've done it in a lot of different contexts from professional development to summer camps to, to classroom teaching. The planetarium is such a beautiful, immersive environment. You know, the seats tip you back a little bit. You get that 180 degree field of view. It's the immersion that really changes everything and brings it to life. And so uh, we encourage them to come here and public shows in the evenings. But uh, we also do um, groups by reservation during the daytime Um, and the special programming like Romance and Enchantment Under the Stars. That'll be the weekend before Valentine's next year. Um, And we'll probably have 10 programs again like we did last year. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, And hey, this is a a very affordable option, too. You guys don't charge very much. We don't. We don't. Uh, the fees, you know, kind of su- go to the district and support their work. We always appreciate people who directly support us. It allows us to bring in our new programs, which we have some great ones that we're going to bring out in the fall. Some very, very cute uh, children's animated uh, full dome programs on seasons, on space exploration. Licensing is unfortunately a very expensive thing in general. Always working on that one. What's been hot lately? I know that there's some talk about things going on with Jupiter. I mean, are there any celestial events that people should be looking forward to this summer? You know, the big one is is probably going to be the um, aurora itself. It's just such a fantastic and rare thing for us to see here um, on any kind of a continuous basis. And they do generally get better and better as you go into the fall. Um, and then they kind of so that you're they're gonna we're gonna see the northern lights again in Madison. You think? I would think so. The sun is so active. I mean, it's it's not something you can predict with precision, but um, the amount of flares and coronal mass ejections and other stuff that's coming off the sun right now, it is way ahead of anyone's projections, and that's always exciting when you're talking about the aurora. Planets, Venus is 
awesome in the West and it's just going to keep getting better for the next month or two before it starts turning around. But all summer long, Venus is going to be amazing in the evening sky. You can't miss it. You'll swear it's an airplane so, yeah, coming in for landing. So tell us how to use spot Venus. It's low in the sky. Yeah, right? just watch when the sun is setting and look about a third of the way up towards the sky and you'll see this brilliant dot and it, it's Venus. It's got phase just like the moon. So if you do look at it with binoculars or telescopes, you can tell it its shape. Uh, you can watch it over the summer and see it change size and shape because it is actually moving around the sun. And so you can actually tell that from Earth from your backyard. And just like kind of a regular old binoculars will, will work pretty well? Uh, for things like the moon and seeing um, the, the change in the size of Venus, that would work well. Almost everything else is so far away that you know telescopes are really going to be what you want. But yeah. any backyard telescope, like the one you find at the yard sale or a thrift store, um, you know, that Christmas gift that's been in the back of a closet, almost any backyard telescope can get you enough magnification to really appreciate, especially the moon, Jupiter and Saturn. I've been doing this a long time. They're still the objects I go out and look at pretty much every time I get out my scope if they're up. Kind of why I wanted to tell people about this sort of, this hidden gem, the school district planetarium was um, because, you know, I think it really helps when you go to the planetarium and you learn about this stuff and you see this stuff and then it, it becomes a lot easier to, in your own backyard to, to, to spot things. Have you found that to be the oh, case? Oh, absolutely. So one of my favorite things we do here too is um, we do have the astronomy class from uh, Vell Phillips High School meeting in here every day. This is our classroom. And uh, the kids always come in and they're always like, I really want to know the sky. They're like, okay, how many things can you name? And they go, I can name two constellations. And I say, is, is the Big Dipper one of them? And they go, yes. And I said, then no, you can name one. <laughs> <laughs> um, by the end of the school year, you know, we're coming up on our last month here and the kids are acing their star quizzes. They know the sky horizon to horizon. So they know like 150 stars, asterism, constellations, wow. deep sky objects. It just blows my mind. They're in like that one one hundredth of one percent of people on the planet who can look up and tell you what's going on. So Memorial High School, how did they ever come to have a planetarium? This seems like a, re a really special asset for the school district to have. It really is. It, you know, uh, it's one of those technologies people associate with the past, but because of the full dome video, the things that we can teach and the concepts we can go into are just amazing. Um, this planetarium was originally built in the 60s when the Apollo era exploration of the moon was going on. Um, so that freed up some federal money. Uh, we made it with 50 years on our mechanical optical star ball, which is a big, bright light bulb in the middle of a ball with holes. And then about five years ago, um, we got the funding to do the upgrade to the, the full dome video. Hmm. All right. So have you ever wanted to run your own like public TV show like <laughs> Jack Horkheimer, uh, the, the former host of Stargazers on PBS? is He's also a planetarium director. He was. Uh, he was. That's funny you should ask. I, there was actually an opportunity a couple of years ago for a nationwide program, and I actually did apply. So <laughs> I love science, and I love um, interpreting it into something that you can digest, right? I mean, if you don't walk away from a conversation or an experience with something that makes you go, huh, that was kind of cool. You know, we've, we failed as, as science educators. And really, we have this, this such a strong disconnect with what science really is versus what most people think it is. And we can blame that somewhat on the experiences, right? We focus a lot on facts and figures and, and patterns and laws. But really, scientists are just insatiably curious people who refuse to take no for an answer. And when their experiment goes sideways and fails completely, you know, you know, typical high school student would be like, ah, my lab failed. We're like, no, that's awesome. What went wrong? Can we figure it out? Let's do it again. And so, yeah, the idea of communicating the science as a process, as a way of knowing the world around us, that's really what, what gets me excited all the time. 
And, and when the kids leave going, that was great. I can't wait to come back. That's victory. That's victory. Cause that's, that's what science is. Just don't stop asking questions. In terms of just science too, you know, science evolves and uh, things change in science sometimes once we learn new information. Is there anything just in the field of astronomy that scientists have thought they had right and then it, it ended up changing when they, when they got more information? Can you think of anything? Uh, you know, we're always in an evolution of, of questioning the obvious. That's the other weird thing about scientists. Everyone thinks what you do as a scientist is try to prove what you know. An actual scientist goes exactly the other way. You attack everything you think you know, and you keep trying to break it. And so there's been some times when we've broke it and we broke it hard, right? Newton came along and said, I got this new mechanism. You high schoolers, you better learn this stuff. Newton's laws of motion. Einstein came along and shattered that. I think James Webb and the data we collect from it is going to change, especially our understanding of exoplanets and astrobiology. I am just old enough that the first exoplanet was discovered in my lifetime. And so we went from the planets around the sun to over 10,000 planets. And we're starting to sample their atmosphere and be able to say there's carbon dioxide or there's methane or there's water vapor. And we're like, that just blows my mind that we can figure that out from millions and billions and billions of miles away. So that's going to be a game changer. Yeah, I I hear you. And well, and what about what's the deal with Pluto? Anything new developments there? Is it still? Oh, just, it's uh, booted. It's not coming back. Um, never. Okay. Yeah, well, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I, I love Pluto. Fun. I still put it in my solar system tour programs. But you know, people don't realize we had to do that before when we had the planets. The rule was you go around the sun, you're a planet, and then we discovered an asteroid, and then we discovered another asteroid, then we discovered an asteroid. A lot of people don't know they were originally called planets. But when we realized we got up to 20, 30, 40 of them and there's going to be hundreds, we kind of freaked out and said, we need a new rule. How do we boot these little guys out? And so the second rule for being a planet was no lumpy potatoes. You're, you're out of here. You got to be big and squash yourself into a ball. Pluto just okay. is a victim of it has too many friends. It, it doesn't gravitationally dominate its place in space. So it got booted. It's not coming back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I miss it. It was my favorite when I was. Hopefully, a kid. we won't get too many, uh, too much hate mail from the Pluto supporters. No, the Pluto there. Alliance. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, so, but thank you for uh, joining us. It's been really, really fun. And before we go, I, I'm, I want you to dive into a, perhaps a controversial subject here, just just for one <laughs> okay. second. The moon, right? Yep. Pretty cool. I'm uh, awesome that we, as a humanity, were able to go visit it. But I mean, isn't it basically just a, a big dumb mirror that spreads a lot of light pollution? Now, <laughs> well, I'll tell you, it's it's woven into the fabric of all of my programs here at the planetarium. Is this idea that it's been 50 years since we went? Every time we've shown up someplace new in the solar system or imaged something new, we make huge discoveries. Um, what a lot of people don't think about is there are resources on the moon that make it much, much easier to explore deeper into space. Uh, in mm-hmm. particular, you can actually refine not just oxygen and water to raise food and keep us alive. You can get rocket fuel out of the lunar regolith, which means launching from that one-sixth gravity, you can be much more uh, fuel efficient in sense of using your fuel to actually go someplace rather than just getting off the rock. On Earth, 95% of a rocket is just to get up 62 miles and up to 18,000 miles per hour. It's that last 5% we get to go somewhere with. So the moon's going to be a game changer once we start living there. Okay, so it, for the moment, it's just uh, the solar system's most expensive golf course, but exactly. we might need it. For, we might need it as a gas station. Exactly. Later on. If you're going to go anywhere okay. else in the solar system, it's so much more efficient to go to the moon first. 
Okay. Well, but I'm not wrong about the light pollution. Oh, no. Right? Like, wasn't... Uh, when it's up, astronomers, we sleep in. It's just not worth trying to image around it. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Though. Yeah, we love the well, new Nobody moon. thinks about it, but it's a big mirror. Exactly. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, you you might have the coolest job in the whole city, uh, Ben. So thank you so much for joining us. We just really appreciate hearing about it. And yeah, we'll put a link to so people um, can check out the last public show before the summer break. That would be absolutely great. Thanks for having me. That was Ben Sensen, Planetarium Director at Vell Phillips Memorial High School. See our show notes for how to score tickets to the Planetarium's last public shows before the summer break. And hey, the next new moon is May 19th, if you want to do your own stargazing without that big old stupid mirror up there. Thank you to listener Alyssa for suggesting this episode idea. You're stellar. And here's what else Madison's talking about. More outer space events. Astronomy's on tap at Stateline Distillery this Monday, May 15th. It's an all-ages event where you can ask all your space-related questions to UW-Madison scientists. Plus games! Astronomy on Tap happens every third week of the month somewhere around Madison. And the historic Washburn Observatory on the UW-Madison campus has free public observing hours every first and third Wednesday of the month. The next one's coming up Wednesday, May 17th. The open house is from 9 to 11 p.m. That's all for today here on CityCast Madison. I'm Dylan Brogan. If you enjoyed today's show, why not recommend this podcast to someone who, like the Earth's rotation, really makes your day? We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Until then, keep looking up. Did he really call himself the Star Hustler?